This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed and to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. Well, welcome to the Final Fix podcast. We are back again. We have a special guest with us today cat i'm sorry i don't know your uh tiktok handle otherwise i would throw that in there too um so but i'll let you introduce yourself start to tell a little bit about your story and kind of go from there all right um my name's cat my tiktok handle is actually gusher goo which is just kind of like a funny story we can get into later but um i am an addict myself i've been in recovery for about seven years um, next week. And I'm just here because I really like what you guys are doing. I think this is an important conversation to have. I'm the daughter of an addict. I'm the sister of an addict. I am an addict. And then my daughter's dad is an addict. So I'm kind of just encompassed by addicts everywhere. Yeah. Multi, multifaceted, uh, and your experience and being able to, to speak on all kinds of different things. I mean, and that's what we're, what we're about, what we're trying to do is normalize the conversation and help people no matter where they're at. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know which part we, we want to jump into first. I, I guess Dominic, if you want to go ahead, I, yes, he was like, yes. he was like, all right, we have to talk to her. I don't know if she'll talk to us, but we have to try. We have to try. So he's, <laughs> yeah. He's all excited. I, I saw, I was on break at work. Uh, we had just released our first episode and I saw your TikTok. Um, where you're sitting down at the desk and you're writing and you're talking about your mom and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, we have to reach out. We have to at least try. So my first question is, is after going through all of that stuff, what motivated you to put it on social media and get it out there and start the conversation? Yeah. So I, I got sober. So I'm going to talk about me being clean and me being sober. So I got clean seven years ago. I got sober about a year and a half ago. When I got sober, I was like, I really just have to get rid of everything in my life and start taking accountability for like, you know, what happened and, and all this stuff going on. And so I was really struggling with shame of my addiction. And so I just like made a video on TikTok of me crying on the internet. And I was like, has anyone else ever been through this? Like, how do you forgive yourself? How do you move forward? And so many people like reached out. I'm so lucky on my platform. I don't get a lot of hate. I'd say it's like less than 10%. Um, and once I kind of got that feedback back, I was like, oh, wow, this is a conversation that needs to happen. And the more secure I got in my recovery, the more I felt like I could share. And I really learned that people don't talk about the shameful parts enough on the internet. And so I kind of just changed my entire life and started talking about all this stuff that I was so embarrassed about. And now here I am with this great following of people that is just like, we all just kind of help each other. It's where I go. Um, again, I think this conversation is so important. So I feel so lucky to, to just have it. But I just one day was like crying and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be that girl. And now I'm here. <laughs> I went through like a little bit of a deep dive. I don't know if the video, is it the one, there's one where you talk about like how good you're doing that other people can see, but it's, it's difficult for you to see and for you to feel. Cause that no, like no. hit me. 
<laughs> no, that was me crying on the internet another time, but um, uh, that one was a little more recent. But yeah, it is uh, It is a lot like that. I, I really struggle with everyone's being like, oh my gosh, you do so well. But for me, it's like, I don't know about that. Well, no, the, um, I guess let's, let's rewind a little bit and get into like the story of, of your addiction and where that kind of started. You know, we've, we've read a little bit about what you sent us, but I guess from, from your perspective or from the start. Yeah. So, um, my mom and my brother were both addicts, but I didn't know that growing up. Um, I didn't really, <clears throat> things were weird, but I wasn't like aware that it was drugs until I was like 12. And that's because my brother went to rehab. But with my mom, I didn't know until I was on drugs. And I realized that the stuff I was doing was stuff she was doing. Like I was in denial for a long time. When I graduated high school, I kind of like went through a little bit of a party phase. There was a lot of like unresolved trauma and I ended up getting into Vivans. And it was probably like two weeks of Vivans. And then they were like, I don't have Vivans, but I have meth. And it just happened that fast. I did meth and I was up for 17 days. And then next thing I knew, three years went by. And, um, yeah, things got really, really dark, really twisty there. Um, I was, I became an IV user within three months. I was homeless. I lost 70 pounds. I, I was deep in the drug world. Um, and then by the time I came out, I was two days away from 21. That's wow. Yeah. The, I, I think people underestimate the speed at which it can happen and that it's not the same for any two people. Like there's people that you know, recreationally use or use lightly function, whatever you want to say, um, for years and years. And then there's like situations like that where it's just, you know, you get lost in it when you hit that point where you're 21, like what brought you out of that? Yeah. So I had tried to get clean a lot of times before. I think everyone I know that's an addict wants to be clean. No one wants to be on drugs after about a year. And, um, I had tried and tried and tried, but once you get so far in and you have a record and you don't have anywhere to stay and your family doesn't trust you there, it's not like you can't just come out. So <clears throat> I had found out I was pregnant in 2015 and I immediately stopped shooting up and I actually ended up sending my body into shock and I had a, a live, a stillborn birth after that. So that tore me up and I started using again. And then I found out I was pregnant about four months later. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it until the amount of weeks I was when I had that stillborn. And if I still, if I'm still pregnant, I'm going to get clean. And so that ended up being July 12th of 2016, which was two days before my 21st birthday. And I was like, I'm just going to make this happen. I'm ready to be done. You know, the universe is going to, is going to do what it's going to do. I was in a really bad car accident in June of that year. And I actually almost died, but there was no like fetal activity loss at all. Like the baby was perfectly fine. I was completely unconscious. And then I was like, you know what? It's time for me to just do this. So July 12th came, I called my grandparents. They picked me up from a trap house, took me home. I detoxed in my dad's, like walked myself in my dad's room, um, detoxed. And then I just never went back. That's incredible. I mean, the, the chances of, you know, you getting radically injured and then nothing happening to your baby like that's amazing you have a daughter right so it's like mm -hmm. that she could play that role for you is is awesome do you i guess like as a parent now she's obviously become like a big motivator for you in your change growing up like how what kind of conversations do you think you'll have with her to set the stage like for her to understand 
what you went through, what other people like her dad have gone through and other people around her to like, kind of not stop it, but like to help her understand the dangers. Yeah. So, um, my daughter was actually born six months to the day of my clean date, which was like super cool. I went two weeks overdue and was induced on that day. So I just feel like we were meant to be. And so we've talked about that. And then when I got sober, um, she was probably like four. And so she knew then like, she'll see commercials for beer or wine and she'll be like, Oh, people drink these, but not my mom. My mom's sober. So like, we've had the conversation of yeah. like, I don't, I don't do this. This isn't good for me. She's visited her dad twice in federal prison. And so she knew he was there. That was like a weird thing to navigate at the school because she wanted to tell all of her friends, Hey, I just met my dad. He's in prison. And it's like these little kids kind of can't grasp that yet, yeah. but um, she's really good with that. Aside from that, though, she just knows that that people are addicts, that, you know, some people are sick, some people aren't. And we just keep it pretty um, age appropriate, but very open. I don't lie to her about anything. Like one time she's like, have you ever been to jail? I was like, yep, I've been to jail. You know, it is what it is. This is what I did. This is how I got over it. I don't plan on going back, but I don't think lying to them helps them in any way. No, no, that we've talked about that a few times. Um, yeah, that that's something I navigate because my oldest son's mom is more or less an addict. I don't know if she's in recovery or still actively using, but navigating those conversations with children are, can be extremely difficult because I myself just, I'm open. I'm just like, what do you want to know? But I know that there's a level that you have to explain it to because they're children. You know, they can't mentally grasp everything yet. But they also have such a fine BS detector that like you can't mm -hmm. lie to them almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you said you're about to hit your seven year mark. And I know one of the TikToks I saw you were talking about like the difficulty that it's not like every year around this time. And I, you know, I'm grateful that you're here talking about this, like so close to that time, um, how, how have the way that you've navigated that changed and how, what are you doing right now? That's like helping you, you know, just stay strong during this time. Yeah. So I found fitness last year and that really changed my life. Like the way that running changes your mind is like crazy to me. I don't understand the science, but I run a lot now and that like keeps me pretty level-headed it is like a weird phenomenon that people relapse on their clean dates or like close to this time because everything is just like trudged up. I have really bad nightmares at this time. I'm prescribed a medication to help with that. I like just seeing things is like, so I can't go to certain parts of town. I, I work in STEM. So I work with like needles sometimes. And that's very difficult for me around this time. It's just like weird little things that you don't really think of. And I basically just have to keep myself grounded and remind myself that I don't want to be that person again and that I am such a better person sober, but it's not, it's not that easy. There's a lot of sleepless nights around this time. It is, it is truly so difficult and I don't have all the answers because every year I feel like I go through it again and again. Um, as I get older, I get angry again about things that happened in the past or I get sad or it's just like this weird thing that I feel like I'm reliving this time over and over again. But I don't know. You have to stay close to your support system. You have to stay grounded. That's really my only advice because it is, I, I almost relapsed really bad at five years and I probably would have died had that gone through. Did you find any stark differences between like when you got clean and then when you got sober, like, or was the process, I mean, I, I guess I just, I don't know what the process was like. Yeah. So when I got clean, it was physically pretty hard, um, you know, like, and I was homeless. So my lifestyle changed, but it changed a lot for the better. 
When I got sober, um, I struggled a lot. I had a lot more times where I'd be sober for extended periods of time and then completely revert back to drinking. And alcohol is so widely accepted. I bartended for 10 years. I had to leave that industry. I was just always that girl that was, you know, fun, but I was always trashed and people didn't care. You know, I was just the person they called to go out with. And so there I was. But alcohol for me was way harder to stop than heroin or meth because no one's like, oh, it's fine that you shoot up in the bathroom, but everyone's like, go ahead, let's take a shot at 9 a.m. So that was the big difference is alcohol was so much harder to to walk away from. And even now, still, people still look at me crazy when I'm like, oh, I don't want to drink. And then I have to very bluntly be like, well, I'll end up doing heroin. So please, like, you know, let's let's stop asking people why they're sober. Yeah. But <clears throat> that for me was the hardest part. That was a, a conversation we had with another guest was that alcohol is just so normalized in our society and that people do just assume that everybody drinks. Uh, so when, you know, I, I've never been a big drinker. Uh, and so my close friends have accepted that. Uh, have you had to, I'm sure you've had to cut people off, but is there anyone that has kind of been a, a staple and in, in through this whole thing has been a friend that you know that you can go to that won't judge you and and understands what you're going through and just accepts it oh yeah i have one really good friend they're fantastic they've been there uh none of my friends have really been there since when i was on drugs i kind of had to leave all those people in the past but a lot of my friends a couple of my really good friends knew me when i was drinking and they know me now that i'm sober and one of them has been there for me through everything. I would not be here without them. That's probably my rock of a support system is, is that person. They've just always been so accepting. That's probably my first like real example of unconditional love in a friendship that was platonic. They've never wanted anything from me, but they've always been there to give, you know, and just to listen. They've seen me in every suicide attempt and every attempt to get sober. And now they've got to see me sober for a year and a half. And they, you know, they've just never... They've never left my side and I'm so grateful for that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, as long as you have one person, it can really, really change that for you. So I, I noticed, you know, like we've all said, we've kind of deep, deep dove on your social media and, and stuff like that to try to prep for the, the podcast. You said that there was, you've overcome a lot of challenges and that you should be so proud of yourself and everyone else is proud of you. Kind of like what Jordan mentioned. What was that? the hardest challenge you think uh, that you overcame that, that you are proud of? Recovery every day is such a hard thing. And truly living with the things that I've done is so difficult, which I don't know if that sounds like terrible. I, I wasn't the person, I wasn't always someone that I wanted to be when I was on drugs. There was a lot of like survival, things I did to survive and having to live with that today eats away at me. And that's a lot of the reason also why I started my channel or like really started talking about it is someone had said to me, you know, the parts of your story that you're the most ashamed of, you need to tell the loudest because that's where people will relate. And so I started talking about some of the things that I did that were just like inimaginable, you know, just like so embarrassing, so pathetic, like just, just things that I was, you know, not happy about. And I learned that I found so much love for that girl and who she was and how she got me here. But that is by far the hardest thing is having to accept that there are things I've done that I can never take back or, you know, there is no amount of amends that can that can make those okay. Addiction and being sober and stuff like that. Um, being in recovery is a lifetime thing. And 
it's such like a weird parallel where like I'm ashamed of things that I've done like when my mom was going through it because it's like all these people had so much hope for me and uh, they wanted me to do these things and I just couldn't do it and I didn't know why is with your TikTok and stuff like that is I saw a TikTok that you posted um, and you're saying like it's hard to be proud of yourself um, mm -hmm. is there anything that you did to help yourself like accept and validate your feelings um, I try, I still struggle with this a lot, um, because I just, sometimes I'm so stuck in that I haven't come far enough or I'm so far behind in life. And like recently I just accepted a promotion in my job for, for another position and I fast tracked, you know, my career really well there. Um, but I still am always feeling like, you know, what's next for me? How am I going to do this? And, and I don't know, I don't have the answer for that. I, I don't give myself enough credit and I know that, but I focus so much on, doing the things I can do and having the space I have to tell my story to hopefully give back that way. And, you know, I kind of just skate by for myself, which I know sounds terrible, but that's, that's the best I can do for me right now. And there are little moments where I'm like, wow, I reacted to that better than I would have a year ago, or this version of me would have picked up a drink last year, or, okay, I just thought about using for 10 seconds instead of, you know, 10 minutes. And I'm proud of myself for that. And I try to hold on to those little wins until I can figure out how to truly be proud of myself, you know, overall. I think that you catch it like in hindsight, like it's never a in the moment thing. I think that like, it's very specifically, oh, like I wouldn't have done this or I would have done things differently. So, I mean, it's improvement. It's, you know, that's, it's a step forward. So that's awesome. I think a common theme is going to be like, Oh, on your TikTok. Oh, on your TikTok. <laughs> that's literally all, all of us. Um, I mean, that's, we were like, all right, we were so pumped. Uh, but I saw, I did see on there, uh, that you had like a thing saved for a book. Are you working oh, on a yeah. book? Okay. So I, so the thing on my TikTok is, a, is an older book I'm working on. I've, I've changed gears and I'm working on now. I'm simultaneously working on two books. I think the first, the second book is not going to become the first book. And I'm basically, I have a lot of poetry and a lot of like short stories. If you do watch my TikTok, you'll see a lot of the voiceovers I do with videos. Um, and that's how I think you originally found me. And so mm -hmm. I have a ton of that stuff written from, you know, the childhood abuse that I encountered and what it was like to be the girl in that situation. And then, you know, how I was in the drugs and then now to be the woman that I am today. And it's kind of like each story and how I felt in the moment, how, and how I feel now and how I hope to feel in the future. And it's like these big monumental moments in my life, um, that I'm writing about because a lot of people I think do need to hear some kind of story, you know, and a lot of people want to hear mine, I guess. So I, you know, I'd really like to put it out there. Um, the other book I'm writing is a book directed at women who were raised by women who hate women. That's kind of a lot to say, but my mother, had enough of her own issues and struggles that were projected onto me as a girl. And that's really hard to navigate life as a woman when you don't know anything but but hate. And so that's also what I'm working on. But I've decided to focus more on me and my story right now. That's what I have the space for. I think that's more important than the rest of it. But yes, I am working on some books. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. That's awesome. When you yeah. talk about being, you know, sharing your story, another TikTok, you said that uh, at work, and the reason I bring this one up is because in our personal experience, we've kind of pushed our mom who, you know, went through addiction and we pushed her to get a job. We we're like, okay, you know, your next step is get a job. Your next step is get a job. And it 
feel like it took years literally for her to, and there was always an excuse. There was always a reason, you know, oh, I had to, you know, I had to check the box that I was a felon or I had to, I didn't want to talk about my addiction or what happened. And I think one of the things you shared was that you were open about, you were open about it up front and right away. And that actually helped you tremendously. Um, what, can you share about that? Yeah. So, um, I have my degree in biotech and I used to work for research. COVID happened. I ended up leaving that company and I took a couple years off. Um, so when I went back to the biotech field, it was like a very, it's a competitive field and you have to explain these gaps in employment. And I was like, you know what? I'm done going through with this, like putting on this fake face and then like a month in being like, oh yeah, I used to do meth, you know? So right in the interview, they were like, you know, just tell us about yourself. What's, you know, what's going on in your life? And I was just like, I'm cat. I'm really big into fitness. I'm also really big into recovery. At the time, I think I was only like five and a half years clean. I was like, you know, I used to be a heroin addict and this stuff is really important to me. This is where I spend my time. These are the things I volunteer with, you know, and they were all like, wow, like, that's really cool. Like, you know, congrats, whatever, you know, regular interview stuff. And then when they called me back to offer me the job, they had to do a background check. And I knew at that time something was going to come up. And so I was like, hey, just so you know, like this is going to come up. And she's like, you know what? You were honest and upfront. We're going to advocate with our higher ups and see what we can do. And now here I am at the company. I really like it. When I'm there, I still talk about being an addict. Anytime it comes up, I'm very vocal about like, yeah, I used to do drugs or, you know, I've been in recovery for this amount of time or I don't drink. And you'd be surprised how many people have pulled me aside and been like, hey, my mom is an addict. My brother's an addict. I'm really struggling with this. Is there a program you know about? Or like, you know, can you just have space? How did you get sober? And those are really important conversations that, again, wouldn't have happened without someone just being like, hey, this is who I am. This is what's going on. Um and so, yeah, I am grateful for that. But yeah, I just told him straight up in the interview, first 15 minutes, yep, I used to shoot a heroin. Yeah, and, that's... you know, people take it pretty well. You'd be surprised. They either do or they don't, you know, so. But... Yeah, it, it's it's good to just be open because we've, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes. You never know what somebody's going through. You could see the most put together person and come to find out they were, you know, they've been 20 years in recovery or, or whatever, you know, you just, you just don't know. And, and I think when you do know, you just, um, it just erases the stigma. You don't, you don't worry about it. You feel comfortable, you know, talking about it. You can be that person that gets you is, you know, pulled aside and, and help. And, and that's all we're, we're trying to do. You know, we don't have any personal experience uh, ourselves with addiction, but just maybe one person hears this and, they're like, all right, if they can talk about it, or if all these people that have, they've talked to can talk about it, we can talk about it. Right. So mm -hmm. that's, that's our goal. Circling back. Um, I know you, you said, you know, your mom with addiction, your brother with addiction, your daughter's father with addiction. What was that like growing up with your, we'll start with your brother. Um, how was that growing up? Yeah. So I didn't, my brother, my brother's on my mom's side. So the three of us were together until my mom, you know, signed over her rights. And so I was probably 10 ish. My brother was like 16. And I remember we were in this laundry room and she was doing his laundry. And she's like, I just can see this clear as day still. She pulled out this pill and she was like, oh my God, I'm going to kill him. And I was like, what's going on? And my mom always had a temper. And now I know that was because of the drugs, but I was like, oh, great. You know, here we go. And she's like freaking out. And so the next day, like his stuff is being packed and it's all happening so fast. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? Come to find out it was Adderall that was in his pant pocket, you know, but I didn't learn that until years later. It was kind of like this hush hush thing. 
And then he was like promptly put into rehab, like very quickly. And so I remember visiting him in rehab when he was in high school, he ended up graduating from rehab, I think, or, or, you know, spending a year there in school. And at the same time, my mom's addiction got really bad looking back. That's what that was. Um, and so I started spending more and more time with like her friends and they would just be like, Oh, your mom is sick. Or like, Oh, your mom is working or, or she's tired. And so I was just spending more and more time away. And, and then my dad was still kind of in the picture, but it was a really, you know, I wasn't encouraged to go there. And there was a lot of like manipulation. And then by the time that it got to like my mom, I distinctly remember it got really bad with my mom about six months before she signed over her rights. We were like driving in the car and she fell out from Xanax and hit this light pole. And it was like, I still didn't know it was Xanax until again, years later, but that was when it was really bad. Um, and then like cocaine got introduced right around that time from some guy she was dating. And that's when the like rage fits happened. And the story that I talk about in the TikTok about my dad on father's day with, with the phone that DHS had given me, DHS had gotten involved from an incident that had happened that I, I wrote a note to my friend, you know, in sixth grade and was like, Hey, this happened. Like my mom went crazy. She did X, Y, Z to me and a teacher intercepted it. And it got, you know, DHS got involved because it was so bad. So they would secretly meet with me at the school um, every week to like take photographs and see what was going on. And they realized that the situation was so volatile with her that while they built their case, I had to have this phone in case anything happened and something ended up happening. I didn't speak to my mom for years once she signed over custody. Um, I happened to just like my brother ended up going through a bunch of his own addictive stuff and had a really bad accident and tried to kill himself. And so I found out that he had a stroke. And so I ended up, you know, going back to where my mom and him lived and he came out of it. He ended up being okay. But her coming back into my life really started to mess with me because I hadn't had her for so long. And I, I didn't realize how toxic it was, but I was like listening to all this stuff about how, you know, she always wanted me and my memory was, you know, mistaking me and all this, you know, stuff that was, I was impressionable. And then I'd say within about six months, I was drinking heavily on the Vivans and then quickly on the drugs myself. So it all just kind of like flowed mm -hmm. for all of us. But um, yeah, that's probably the one I first remember it. My brother and I have only ever been sober at the same time once. So throughout my addiction, my brother was mostly sober. And so we didn't talk. And then when I got clean, he was like kind of in and out of being clean and sober. And then just in 2022, we were both sober, living together, thriving, having a great time. And he just fell off the wagon in October. And it was like, that was probably the wildest experience of my life. And I also know my TikTok did some numbers at this time too, because when I was on drugs and people were like, you know, oh, you can always come home. We're always going to love you. Like, this is so hard. And I later found out my dad did all this stuff behind the scenes to try to make sure I was okay. I didn't really think about it or know about it. I was like, there's no way these people love me. I've done all this horrible stuff. I'm, I'm not worth anything. You know, I don't want to be alive. So when my brother went through it and it was me driving around at 3 a.m. looking for him and like talking to people and doing all this crazy stuff, it hit me so hard. And I had to re kind of process my own addiction too and how much I truly did hurt the people around me. Um, and I wasn't mad at my brother, you know, I love him to death, but it was like this very weird place to be where I had been both the addict that was like, no one cares about me. And then all of a sudden I was the person that was caring so much about him. And that was just eating me away. I had never loved an addict the way that I love my brother. Like, you know, I had never, all my friends, you know, I didn't have that, that same kind of like 
sibling love. And we had been, you know, we'd been through everything together, the childhood abuse, the addiction, the sobriety for, you know, nine months thriving. And then to just see it all come crashing down. That was probably the hardest part of any of my addiction or recovery was actually being on the other side and, and being the one who loves an addict. That's why I'm like, so commendable to you guys. I don't think I, I don't think I could have done it without the perspective of like, I knew how I wanted to be treated. I don't think I could have just treated him with so much grace because that was so hard. Yeah, and I'm sure it would have been easy for you to fall back to during that time. I mean, especially if you're driving around familiar areas at you know three in the morning looking for him, like it, it wouldn't be hard for you to slip back into a pattern or you know lose control of the situation. So that's that's awesome that you went through through that, or you could be that person for him and help him and continue to do good yourself. I know you mentioned that, you know, from a young age, you were unknowingly introduced to addiction with your mom and, and that kind of stuff. Was it ever talked about or was it just like hush hush, like you said, with your mom's friends where it was uh, she's tired or she's, you know, X, Y and Z? Uh, was there anyone that was honest with you or was it just hush hush? Yeah, no one told me the truth until I don't even think they, they're still in denial. My dad will never speak ill of my mom. It's one of his like very big rules. He's very validating and like, you know, that's just how she is. I'm sorry about that kid. You know, let's move forward. But no one will like to this day admit that it happened. And any time that we like try to talk about it or I try to allow my mom in my life, she'll like do this weird fake apology of like, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't be perfect or, you know, I'm sorry about this. But there's never like an actual accountability of like, I did these things they affected you and I, I'm going to do better. So it's still like, you don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. And there were like whole court cases. Like she, as a nurse, like had to go to like a program to keep her nursing license after she lost me and spiraled. But it's just like, everyone acts like it's not real. And to this day, she'll still, still, still tell you that she's not a drug addict because she's like prescribed these pills. But it's like, okay, just because they're a prescription pill doesn't mean they're your prescription or, you know what I mean? It's just like this crazy... I don't know, reality that they're not aware of, but yeah, she still doesn't talk about it. I really didn't even realize she was an addict until I was doing drugs myself. And I was like, wow, this is some familiar behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The similarities like with, with our mom, like that there isn't that, I guess, accountability um, and acceptance. Like, you know, I don't know if you utilize 12 step at all, but like the, like her coming and talking to us, you know, that hasn't happened. There's mm -hmm. been no, no forgiveness or repentance or whatever, but, and then I have had conversations now, like with her drug use a, a lot, that's kind of open, but like talking about drinking before the drug use, like I've talked to some of her friends and they're like, oh, what are you talking about? But I, I realize now, like a lot of the time, it, those were the people that she was drinking. So like, <laughs> yeah. probably part of the issue, but, um, I think it was just, I mean, for, for our situation is, is worse than anybody else realized that wasn't living in it. I'm sure it was the same, like that you're living in it and that, that hits you. One of the things that, one of the only things as far as acceptance goes that our mom said to me was. It was after she got out of treatment, I don't know, the second or third time, she said to me, I've, I've come to realize that this, it's not a choice. This, this was 
this car or the reason I'm using is not because I found pills. It was because of what happened to me 20 years ago. And this is how my body's manifesting it, whatever. I've never been to treatment. I, I don't know how that program works. And, and frankly, I haven't been in therapy. I know Jordan has. And have you gone through an experience where like, okay, the reason I made these choices is because of way back. So I'm someone who has a pretty strong belief that addiction in the beginning stages is a trauma response. It's a coping mechanism. People do drugs to to feel better or to feel nothing, or it's something that you use as, as um, a way to escape. Addiction is a disease, however, so it manifests very quickly and then it becomes psychologically and physically addictive. But most people that try drugs have a reason that, that they got there. I look back a lot and I, I try to think about the fact that no one forced me to use drugs for the first time, but had I maybe not been in these situations as a child growing up or had like, you know, had my mom not projected so much self-hate onto me and had I really had some care and some nurturing in my life, I don't think I would have ended up where I ended up. Um, it's not her fault. I try never to blame anyone for that, but I do, I can look back and be like, wow, these, this deck of cards was really stacked against me. Unfortunately, I, I played the wrong game. Um, all I can do now is is play a different game. Um, but I think there's definitely reasons why people people can use. But at some point, you do have to take control of your own life and you do have to take accountability. You know, I could still be, you know, banging dope in the trap house. That's just not what I want to do anymore, what I should be doing anymore. And and I had to pull myself out of that. No one else is ever going to pull you out of it. And yeah, I just, I think everyone has something that could have led them to drugs. Some people just do and some people just don't. I think that having those options of uh, drugs being put in front of you and like you said, not having the uh, reassurance uh, at home or the, the uh, nurturing or the love, it's easy to have that in front of you and be like, well, they're doing it and no one really cares what I do. So why not? Right. Um, I feel like that's a, a common theme that we're seeing is you just when you are introduced to it, it's like, oh, well, why not? No one cares about me or no one cares what I'm doing. Um, it's it's very psychological. So, Dom, are you going to say something? Yeah, not really a question, but I'm just so like thankful for you and like your TikTok page and stuff like that. I feel like your Father's Day video really made me appreciate my dad a lot more. He was you know, like my rock and the way you were talking about your dad and how he's always there for you and never said anything bad about your mom. Like it's the same thing. My dad would never say anything bad about my mom, no matter what she's put me through. And with him listening to this podcast, he's, he wants to come on because he wants to talk about it. Cause I've never really heard his side, you know, like how your dad kind of doesn't really address it as much. It, it's, it's the same thing. And it's just so, it just needs to be heard and it needs to be said and what you're doing is great and amazing and like genuinely like thank you <laughs> oh thank you so much some days are harder than others man the internet can be such a cool place and like addicts unfortunately are stigmatized so the little bit of hate i do get is is nasty um but i do really a lot of people reach out to me and i do try to answer everybody's dms as they come in sometimes it takes me a week or two because it, it is hard but a lot of people reach out to me and just be, are like you know hey your videos really helped me or like i really feel like i'm just like you and that means a lot to me because there are moments where i want to delete 
my entire TikTok page, my Instagram. I just want to like crawl under a rock, you know, never forgive myself. And then I like get these silly DMs and they're like, Hey, like, you know, I, I felt validated for once. And I was like, you know what? I can keep doing this. Like yeah. I, I can handle it. So that does mean a lot to me. And I'm grateful to be here. I've listened to every episode. I literally love what you guys are doing. I'm so excited. We, th I thank you for that. I mean, the, that's what we're wanting to do is like validate people's experiences and emotions. So like I resonate cause like I was the, like, not that I had any thing, any big following or putting anything out there, but like, I've had those moments where I'm like, fuck it all. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. like crawl under, go off the grid. And then it's like, well, no, like kind of hit a realization. Like I didn't think that this would be what this is. And I'm sure you have a lot of those same feelings where there kind of becomes like an imposter syndrome a little bit where it's like, like, I don't, you know, I don't deserve this or I don't, you know, I don't feel like, I, I feel like I could be doing more. Like I I'm in the guard, the national guard too. And like it's serve and stuff. And so like, I get the, like, thank you for your service thing often. And it's like, I haven't done shit. Like just, <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Leave me alone. Like <laughs> how, how do you navigate when, you, when people do reach out to you and you're like, man, like, I don't feel like I deserve this still because I haven't forgiven myself. So how can these people, you know? Yeah, I, um, I just really try to validate other people. I'm really good at, at the deflecting and the being like, let's talk about you. I'm so proud of you. Like you're, they're like, oh my God, I know how hard it is. I have 30 days. I'm like, yes, that 30 days is so cool. Let's talk about that. Um, and I always try to let people know how proud I am of them because when I first got clean, I didn't have a lot of support. Um, my family rightfully so had pretty much been done with me. They wanted to see me get clean, but not at the expense of, of them again, which is like, that's great. You know, love that for them. But yeah, I really just try to be someone who's like, I'm here to listen. I'm here to be proud of you and and really give it back. And, uh, but yeah, the minute it comes on to me, I'm kind of like, okay, we're, we're done with that. We don't, we don't need to talk about that all the time. <laughs> As someone who kind of, I've never been to therapy. Uh, I feel like I need it for sure. But um as someone needs it. Yeah, yeah. It's just as someone who kind of did like a self therapy through writing, um, I I published a story about my mom's story, and I, I have a tattoo of the motel room number that she stayed in when she she first started, um, not first started, but when I realized that she was addicted. Has writing always been a thing that you've enjoyed, a way to like get your thoughts onto, you know, just to articulate your thoughts? Yeah, I have always been a really good writer, like. For me, writing was the one thing I could do. I'm not artistic. I can't draw. I can't paint. But like, I've been in the loony bin my fair share of times and I've been to rehab enough where like you don't get much but a piece of paper and a pencil. And just being able to write it all out and like see it on paper and like journaling and all that kind of stuff. It's all this silly, goofy stuff that actually works for your mental health, which is like kind of crazy. But um, yeah, writing has always been that for me. And I've always had this like inkling to write a book, but I never knew what about. And then it just hit me. Like I had COVID last year and I was like, I'm going to write a book about this. And I just started writing the book. I was like, if I've learned anything in the last year of my life, it's that just do it. Like there time is not guaranteed, but it will always pass. So whatever it is you want to do, just do it now. Like, don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't, you know, like I'm always, sometimes I, I make videos and I don't post them because I'm like, God, that's not perfect. And then I'm like, you know what? And then those videos perform so well. And it's everyone's like, I just can't, you know, I'm so glad that you said this. I've been thinking this, like, I just had a video this morning that I was just like, I don't think I'm going to post this. The one about, you know, I'll be seven years clean and I'm just really struggling. And all of a sudden, like within an hour, it's like 5,000 views. And I'm like, I didn't see this coming, but obviously it's what people need. So I think that authenticity that comes 
from the writing and from the the realness and the rawness um, is important. I did hear that, or I feel like I heard in the first episode that you have writing somewhere, but I don't know where it's at. There was like some kind of essay. <laughs> I was like hoping to find it, but yeah, we're kind of still trying to figure that out too. Yeah, uh, we're working on the legalities of that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I signed my I signed my stuff over, but um, they, yeah, I got him when he was eighteen. <laughs> I can I can definitely share it, but I kind of. Yeah, I want to figure that stuff out because I do want to share it. Uh, I feel like a lot of people haven't read it. Um, and I feel like it is a really big thing that I want to share. But yeah, I thought I was really shit at writing, honestly. I, I was like forced to. Like I, I wasn't going to graduate high school. My teacher told me that I had to do this to get extra credits. And I was like, fine, like whatever. When it comes to that, um, I actually, before COVID happened, um, I published my story and it got printed and everything. And I went around to different colleges and I talked to people that were trying to be counselors, psychology, or that were doing psychology stuff. And like that healing was like such a different thing. And I just wondered if that was kind of something that helps you like on a day to day basis, like getting all this support and stuff. Does that help you? Like support from other people on the internet or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does help me, especially when I'm feeling very insecure. So like we were talking about imposter syndrome. I have such bad imposter syndrome. I just feel like I sometimes I'm like, did I even live this life? Is that even me? Am I even an addict enough to even come on here and talk about this? And I'm like, girl, we've been there, you know, but like everything for me is like some kind of fake thing. But um, when other it is validating when other people are like, you know, thank you so much for this or like you'd be a really good writer. That's actually what pushed me to get the writing stuff I got was everyone's like, you really need to tell your story. I would buy this book if you wrote it. I, you know, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it because even if one person reads it and, it and it helps them, that's enough for me, but it also does help me. So, you know, that's enough too, but yeah, that kind of support does actually really help. That's it's funny. Cause that's something that we say almost every single time is like, yeah, yeah as long if we help one person, like that's the, that's perfect for everything we're doing. I think like part of, like you pursuing that as well is huge because there's no single platform or single source of information that people consume. And you have, you do, you do have a powerful story, like to be able to share that with people and like how Dominic found you through TikTok. I don't know if you can see, like I, I'm, I just read, like, that's all I do really. <laughs> and so, um, like having these different, you know, methods people can, can resonate with, you and what you've done and what your story is and how you've healed from this and like i said in the beginning like you have so many different avenues where this has affected your life i you know as soon as it's out i'm gonna be i think back to the imposter syndrome i think the authenticity of your page is you know dominic sent it to me and i was like He's like, I think we should. And I was like, I'm already typing a message. Like as he says that, right. <laughs> Just cause it's, it's very real. It feels very real. And it's, it's obvious. I mean, I done my mind numbing hours of scrolling on social media as has everybody. And you can tell when somebody's not real, right. You can tell when it's staged or scripted or, or fake or anything like that. And nothing, nothing that I've seen you do seems that way. It's very real. And I didn't get into the comments of your videos or anything like that, but you can just tell that it, it's real. And so, um, I think that draws, that draws a huge crowd because it's what people need. They need real, they need to, even if they don't reach out to you or they don't reach out to us or they don't do anything, if they can hear it and they feel it, 
that's what matters, right? Mm-hmm. To go with like the writing stuff, is there anything that you've read, um, like specifically that's helped you through your recovery, through anything really, like mental health, like anything? Yeah, so <clears throat> I know the book is a little controversial now, but the body keeps the score. Uh, the third person that's recommended that, like, yeah, yeah. So I know that it is a little. It's giving a little bit like cis white man, I think, in in a field, but I do think it has some really good points. It teaches you a lot about how how trauma manifests physically, and it makes you not feel so gaslit. That the book just validated the fact that like I was rightfully so not doing well. Um, and it also opened me up to yoga, which changed my life. So yeah, I definitely, yeah, I do yoga. Everyone get into I was, yoga. I was going to say, I was asking, I was going to ask a, a part of your fitness. You mentioned running a lot, but like oh, that yeah. book ties with yoga. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I just had reconstructive knee surgery a few months ago. So like, I still can't bend my knee enough to do yoga again. And the, my mind and body like are, I can like feel the difference. Um, so yeah, that's why one of the first books I read that really, that really resonated with me. I do do a lot of reading. I try to actually stay off the internet because it is kind of, it can get very mind numbing. Um, but I also just read a lot of like nonfiction. I don't know if they write them about themselves or people write them about them, but just like books about people and their stories. That's, I just kind of like to, to hear that from other people, the perspective. I think that's where you gain a lot of knowledge in this world is just listening to other people. That's, I think, all that I've read, though. I guess I'm, I'm kind of looking at my books. I don't I don't think anything else really sticks out addiction-wise. Um, I do actually love the documentary Dope Sick, if you haven't seen that. It's about Purdue Pharma and, like, how the opioid epidemic really started with OxyContin. I think that is a really telling documentary on how it can happen to anyone, too. Yeah. The um, I, I did have a question about your surgery. Um, and navigating like the recovery of the surgery while still being sober and clean. Like, is that, I guess, how, how does that work? Do you, do you have a difficult time um, just continuing to navigate that? Like, I, I guess I don't know how to, what I'm asking, <laughs> like, yeah. how is that um, recovery process while still yeah, trying to so sorry um so i had a new surgeon my surgeon retired i broke my knee a couple years ago that surgeon knew that i was a heroin addict he retired and so i had to get a new surgeon and immediately he did the mris and he's like yeah we're gonna have to do surgery on this if you're ready um and i was like yep and he and i was like what's i was so nervous because i was like what's the recovery look like like what are you going to prescribe for pain medication and i was like this sounds drug seeking like this is insane that i would say this and he's like oh we usually do this 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 and I was like, yeah, I don't want narcotics. And I started crying because like, even though I talk about it a lot on the internet, when you're like in a real life setting with a doctor that has all the power in their hands and you're like, yep, I used to do heroin. It can go a few different ways. Uh, when I originally broke my knee, I had to be put under for the knee to be put back in place. And my patella actually dislocated so hard. It broke my patella in half and my femur. And um, the doctor, the like medical resident that was in the ER that night, came back in the room and told me um, my, the woman I call my ex-wife was with me at the time. And he told me that, or he had told her that um, I wasn't going to be getting any pain medication to take home because this was drug seeking behavior. And we were both like, do you think I just broke my leg to come in here and seek drugs? And he was like, it says in your chart, you're a heroin addict, like the stillborn miscarriage thing was in that chart. It was at the same hospital. And he's like, you've admitted that you've done drugs, you know, and it was just like the most dehumanizing experience I've ever had. Um, and I was about four years in recovery then. And I was like, 
I was just that I remember that. So when I had to tell this new surgeon about my knee, like I don't want any narcotics, I was petrified. Um, he was really, really cool though. He was just like, okay, sounds good. Um, we'll talk about it then on the day of. So then the anesthesiologist came and thankfully my, one of my really good friends works at the surgery center. And so she sat in there with me and they talked about anesthesiology and he was like, yeah, when you wake up, we'll have fentanyl for you. And she's like, well, do you think you could just give her a nerve block? And he's like, I really only do that for full knee replacements. This is just a couple ligaments. So probably not. And we were, I was like, well, I was a heroin addict and I don't want narcotics. And he's like, yep. Okay. I'll give you the nerve block. So I ended up getting the two nerve blocks, woke up. Um, it hurt. <laughs> yeah, it hurt. Um, and then they gave me what is called Tordal. It's just like a high, uh, ibuprofen, I think like 800 milligram ibuprofen for swelling for five days. And I just, I did it without anything else. Yeah. I, um, damn. <laughs> <laughs> the uh i think that goes back to like the ability to be able to have just that openness like you know being obviously yeah you were you were scared to have the conversation with the surgeon but like he was understanding and luckily very i guess empathetic not dehumanizing uh, like your first experience and then you know just being straight up with the anesthesiologist i suck at saying that word uh <laughs> Um, that he was able to help you out too. I want to yeah. circle back to that TikTok handle. You said you got a story for us. What's the story behind um, that? <laughs> uh, so like when I first started talking on TikTok, um, I like, I didn't want my real name to be out there. I was like so weird about my real name. I was like, oh, if they can see my face, but they'll never know it's me. I don't know. And so um, I always joke that sour candy and gushers single-handedly got me clean and sober. Like I have a drawer filled with at least 17 different sour candies or like very childish snacks. So I was like sitting there and I'm like, what am I going to make my TikTok handle as I'm like eating all these gushers? And I was like, Ooh, gusher, that's cool. And I was like, Oh, we got to get two G's. And so it just became gusher goo. And I like, I can't change it now because it's funny to me, but it has nothing to do with recovery. I'm always like, people sometimes tag me and stuff. And I'm like, how did they remember that? Like, that's so crazy. But that's yeah, awesome. that me is, and my gushers funny. against the world. It's unique. Oh, yeah. It's unique. And that's what's good about it. Um, let's see here. So I don't know how much you want to dive into. Uh, you said that your uh, daughter's father was an addict and he's currently in prison and all that stuff. How did you navigate that with your daughter? Oh, yeah. So my daughter's dad, I was 18 when I met him. He was 30. Um, so that was like not a great time. He's also the first person that ever shot me up. And so I have a very, it's not his fault. I chose to get high every day after that, but there's definitely some things that happened there that shouldn't have happened. When I was pregnant, I was probably like, it was right when I got clean, he got federally indicted. Um, and we actually weren't even really together. Like when you're on drugs, you're not really with anybody. You're kind of just literally for the streets. And so um, I had been with him for like a long time and uh, I knew it was his and I was just like, hey, I'm pregnant. He's like, I bet it's not mine. We didn't talk again for like a couple months. And then all of a sudden he was indicted. So of course, when I got clean, I like was craving this like, you know, connection again. And like, I was like, oh, I want, you know, her to know her dad. And I was very young and, and very naive. And um, he, of course, did the prison talk thing. And he's like, I want to be there with you. I want to be there for you. So I actually flew her out to Victorville, California, where he ended up being like at when she was one. And I was like, okay, this will be great. And then I don't hear from him for like a year, which was like fine. And then I find out he got out of prison and never even contacted us. So I like a couple months later, I was like, 
really drunk and doing, stu- you know, on the internet. And so I messaged him and I was like, you should come meet your kid. Like, I can't believe you, blah, blah, blah. And he actually came by, which was like crazy. And so I, she seen him twice then. And then he was like immediately like reoffended and was indicted again. And he actually just got out of Leavenworth about six months ago. And I did everything I could to curate their relationship or facilitate it in every way. I got him a phone. We picked him up from prison. I took him to rehab. They, you know, I would call him every day. They would FaceTime every day. I gave him anything he needed. I I got it for him clothes. There was no excuse to not be in her life. And he just never called and he just never showed up. And um, he ended up moving back here to our hometown. And um, we haven't really heard from him since. I ended up telling him, like, I was paying for the phone on my phone bill. And I was like, if you can't even call her, then I'm going to have to shut, like, you need to bring me the phone back. And he just got on this, like, very raged out. I'm not going to do that. It's just a stupid phone. I ended up shutting it off and we haven't heard from him in months. She knows that he, obviously she knows she was in prison. She knows that he's an addict. I let her know that, you know, he loves her. Anytime she asks, she does have photos of him on her wall, but the only time she really asks about him anymore is if other people's dads are around or like whenever they talk about families at school. Otherwise she like isn't really interested in it, but that is probably the hardest thing for me. He said he was going to come by twice once he got back to our hometown and um, he didn't show up either time. And so like we sat at, I'm not in AA or NA. I don't, I don't do 12 step programs. No hate to people that do. It's just not for me. And he wanted us to me to go to one with him. And so I was like, okay. So I bring her to this place for this program that I'm already like, I tell him, I don't like doing this. I'm doing this for you. Um, And he doesn't show up. And so that was like the first strike. And then the second strike was Easter. He was like supposed to be, he was going to drop an Easter basket off and then never showed up, which like, I didn't even ask for any of that. You, he said he was going to do all this stuff. You know, she knew about it. I don't lie to my kid. You know, why are we at home when everyone else is Easter egg hunting? Because we're supposed to be waiting for your dad. And now your dad's, you know, doesn't show up. So I was like, that's it. First strike was a warning. Second strike, you're out. Um, You have to decide to be a parent. You don't get to, to, you know, half-ass it, I guess. So, yeah. I, I think what you did attempt to do and still really, if, if like the chance came, um, is like really good. Like it's really healthy because I, we've talked to a lot of people that wish they had that communication and that upfrontness about what the situation is. And I feel like that she can only benefit from it, even if nothing comes from it. Uh, you know, that like she will acknowledge that. And even as someone who grew up and it was kind of hush hush, like I do wish that it was said. Um, so what you're doing is great, like amazing. Yeah, I, I heard a statistic one time that children that both parents are addicts are like hundreds of times more likely to be addicted to drugs. And so I don't ever want her doing what I did, which was like, oh, I took this Vivans once. I, I could definitely smoke dope and then just be gone. You know, I want her to know that this is like this can happen to anybody and it happens so fast. Like you are already predisposed for this to be a problem. Look what I went through. Look what your dad went through. You know, you don't want to do this rather than just like a, oh, everybody can have fun one time, you know, because that's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's things that are not meant to be, you know, utilized like that. I, as a parent now, like I have a little girl and as much as I like can empathize with things that my parents might have you know, done or like that they weren't perfect because I'm certainly not perfect. But like, I also can't imagine not choosing my child every day 
like and, and trying to be the best that I can for her. Yeah, I um I talk about this a lot and this is about one of the books that I'm writing about my mother and it was a quote that I heard that said um, as a daughter, I'll forgive you, but as a mother, I'll never understand. And I feel like as I get older, I, I cannot forgive my mom for some of the things she's done because I just, I don't get it. You know, there just is no reason for you to act like that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. No, I'm just like, yep. It's true. No, I, it's, I, just it's, true. No, it's, it's just so, yes, good stuff. So I guess if, what would be one final thought or statement that you could leave the people listening with or anyone that hears it? Um, what would be one thing you could leave with them? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, man. And if people are listening to this and there's still an active addiction, just know that the time passes anyway. So just get yourself somewhere where you can stay alive until you can get better. You know, that's, that's what's important to me is just knowing that you can't get into recovery if you aren't alive. So do whatever it takes to stay alive. And for everyone else who's listening, um, I'm a big person on harm reduction. Harm reduction saves lives. Let's advocate for the programs that will keep these people alive, you know, so that we can all see them better. And yeah, that's, that's about it. Other than that, again, I really am grateful for what you guys are doing. I think this is a super good cause. I'm glad to be here. I really just want to destigmatize addiction. I think people don't realize that addicts are the people next to you and your coworkers, your neighbors, your kids, your parents. And, and aside from all that, it's very cheesy, but addicts themselves are somebody, you know, they don't have to be somebody's mother to be important. They don't have to be somebody's daughter to be important. These are, these are real life people who, who just went through some shit and ended up on some shit, you know, and they just need some grace. A, a little bit of grace goes a long ways with people. Absolutely. Did you happen to listen to the, um, episode oh oh yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah. no so next, the, next week yeah yeah by well, the time this comes out there will be an episode with um somebody that ran a, a um, needle swapping needle, uh, she ran the yeah. needle exchange, needle exchange. yeah That's needle it. exchange in our county that we're from she ran it for 25 years and we had her on and so the harm reduction that you just talked about she you'll love that episode she's yeah, am, she's amazing she's, she's an amazing one of my favorites so far just having the conversation yeah. with her i felt like i had a new mom like yes harm reduction is so cool the people that, that dedicate their lives to those programs are so cool it's what um prompted me to go back to school so i actually was like man eh, biotech's really not for me i don't feel fulfilled i'm going back to school to get my master's in substance abuse counseling to work with inmates in prison um oh. i think specifically that population is underrepresented you really if they don't have enough care for them they're not going to succeed i've been in the system long enough to know that and um so yeah i've kind of rededicated my life to that and, and getting through that but i am big on harm reduction i talk a lot about it in all of my classes and like my programs and i'm part of my own harm reduction community um one thing we didn't touch on probably one of the scariest parts of my recovery that i guess i don't talk about a lot is um, I thought I had HIV and hepatitis C. So when I came back, I'd been clean for almost two and a half years. And I got a call from our state. Um, if someone that you like used with or slept with test positive for HIV in prison, the state will contact you. And so I got the phone call that that scared the shit out of me. And um, you have to go down and be HIV tested. I waited six months to go. I was so scared. Um, when I went down there, I just told him, I was like, Hey, I used to do drugs. You know, a lot of people don't realize this either. You can get hepatitis C from your own blood. So when you reuse needles, it's your own dirty blood in there. That's, you know, oxygenated that you put back in your body and you actually can give yourself hepatitis C. You don't even have to share needles to get that. And, um, 
I didn't have hepatitis C or HIV. You know, if you do, there's nothing wrong with that. But that was probably one of the scariest parts of my recovery where I realized just how life-threatening addiction is. And um, we would try to buy clean syringes. We would go into the pharmacy and like, you know, with real money and they would turn you down. And like that kind of stuff just has to stop because people are dying, you know, because of this stuff. People are really dying out there. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.